The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So it's time for the week trending and we're joined today by Dave Hanratty, he host of the No Encore podcast and by Marie Cleary from our newsroom here at Bard Media. So let's start with this idea that publicans have writing to the United Nations body UNESCO to have Irish pubs recognised as special world heritage sites. What does that involve, Mairead, and why? I suppose their reason for putting this forward is that it'll protect Irish pubs. You know, since 2005, one in five pubs have closed down. You know, there is a valid argument to say that we need to do something to protect Irish pubs. And the reality is there is something special about Irish pubs. That is why, you know, a lot of us are guilty of going and looking for Irish bars when we're abroad and other people from other countries look for an Irish bar because you know that's where the crack is going to be. So there is a validity to the argument in fairness that there is a unique Irish heritage to a pub. No one does it like us, you could say. But but how would this work? Would it make it illegal to close down an Irish pub or what would happen? Not necessarily. It's more of a preservation thing. And I think you look at this story initially and think, well, this is maybe a bit ridiculous because a, a unique rural local Irish pub is hardly the Great Barrier Reef now, is it? which is the same, you know, affordation from UNESCO. But they're trying to get it under this kind of intangible cultural heritage banner, essentially, which is a, a beautifully worded thing, you know, like intangible. What could it possibly mean? And there are many, many things you can do with that, one of which is a social thing, a humane thing. If it's proven that your community, you know, is bolstered by a specific landmark, in this case, a rural Irish pub, that might just do it. It's a bit fanciful, but I think, as Mairead says, there is actually like a, a real kind of social value to this. Yeah, but OK, what sort of pubs would qualify though? Because not all pubs are equally meritorious, are they? No, not really. I guess a, a part of it, and one of the reasons why the, the two separate vintners associations are getting involved is to try and, I guess, you know, deflect the idea of these massive anonymous kind of chains coming in and just taking over, which could happen. New licensing laws might lead to that as well. That's kind of been mooted. But essentially, you're looking at pubs that may have passed down from generation to generation that hold a familial value, and also specifically in rural Ireland where amenities and transport aren't as great as they would be in an urban city area. For people who this is part of their daily life, their weekly life, their rituals, you know, obviously Ireland's relationship with alcohol has to be obviously weighed up with this. But at the same time, for a lot of people, these are communal spaces that are sorely needed. Yeah, I'll get back to you about the relationship with alcohol in a second. I can think, though, Mairead, of lots of pubs in places like Dingle in County Kerry or Killarney that I would immediately and automatically nominate as places that I would hate if they were no longer there to be able to visit and indeed for future generations. But to a certain extent, doesn't time move on? And if some of these places are closing, it's because not enough people actually want to use them, that they're not appealing enough. I don't think it's that there's no want. I think it's just population. It's um, facilities around that, like you mentioned, public transport. There are some lovely, cosy pubs that have sessions on a Wednesday outside Carrick and Shannon, but they're outside Carrick and Shannon and that holds them back. That's just an example. But, you know, I think they're, the want for those pubs are still there. It's just they need more support around them. And this could be something that does support those pubs and sees them carry on. A lot of those buildings, as you mentioned, are years old. They're hundreds of years old. So some of them, um, why not protect them? I think it's a, it's not a bad initiative. Uh, there could actually be some merit in the argument. But will the United Nations want to protect something 
that promotes the consumption of alcohol, Dave. It's pretty unlikely. I mean, like I said earlier on, it is a bit of a fanciful idea. I think, if anything, what this is doing is raising awareness. This isn't the first time something like this has been put forward by people. So essentially, it wouldn't be surprising if someone from the UN gave them a polite rebuttal. But essentially, it gives you the chance to kind of make the case and yeah, like as Maria is saying, like some of these buildings are hundreds of years old. It is that tricky one, though, isn't it? Because, you know, Ireland obviously has a reputation. You know, even if you look, you know, further afield to the entertainment world, the Banshees of Inishir and a lot of that film revolves around going to the pub in old school Ireland. But for an awful lot of people, these places are necessary. And I guess the alternative would be to just sit in your house, have no social communication. It raises a, a much bigger and complex debate. But I think at the heart of it, it is striking at something that is important to an awful lot of people in this country. Okay. Also, what's very important to the Italians is the <laughs> reputation of their Mediterranean diet. There's a story, Maria, that we covered on this programme a few weeks ago, and I didn't expect it to continue to rumble on. This is the Italian anger at Ireland's decision to put health warnings on bottles of Italian wine. And of course, it's not just bottles of Italian wine. It's all wine, isn't it? It's all wine. So yeah, Ireland have put forward um, this directive over to the European Commission, and they're saying basically any bottles of alcohol has to come with a message linking alcohol to cancer. That's the first time this messaging has been done in Europe. So basically a bottle of wine will will have the words alcohol causes liver cancer, for example, printed on it. Now, the Italian government has really upped arms about this. Um, You know, they say it's an attack on the Mediterranean diet um, and, you know, this this can't be happening. And they're kind of saying it's a bit of a a culture war is what I would suggest they're trying to pose here. But at the end of the day, it's just a health warning. They're on boxes of cigarettes. It's not the end of the world. The reason it's showing its head again is because it's gone through the commission without any complaints. It's gone through and now Italy are kicking up once more because it's too late to do anything about it. Yeah, and once you kind of see phrases being thrown around like, oh, it's the great replacement theory, but for food and drink, you realise that there's something much more sinister <laughs> afoot here. Which, and then, of course, you read a little bit further into it and you're like, oh, there's a, a far-right coalition are the ones kind of spearheading the most noise on this. And yeah, it comes hand in hand with kind of fresh war- warnings from the World Health Organization who say that no alcohol consumption whatsoever is good for you, which, yeah, that is true. It is a poison. But for some people, you know, it's a delicious poison. I don't know. I mean, like, again, it's the balance. Like, like you don't want to be flippant about this kind of a thing but at the same time this does feel like someone just sabre rattling essentially looking to just cause a like kick up a fuss Okay without wishing as well to sort of to feed the monster but <laughs> tell us a little bit about these uh, conspiracy theories that Damar Hamlin is dead just remind us Dave of who he is Yeah first. he's an American footballer this is like a, a, a quite sad it's become a sadder story with regards to this I mean uh, he's an American footballer who collapsed recently on the field of play and had a cardiac arrest not dissimilar imagery to when Christian Eriksen the footballer had a similar thing happen to him at the Euros a couple of years ago very very distressing scenes now he is in recovery at the moment which is the good news of this story and thank God for that but unfortunately, we now live in a world where conspiracy theories are as rife as they've ever been, and as accessible and as distributed online as we've ever seen, perhaps, in our entire lives. And some people are making the case that actually he died as a result of the COVID vaccine and has been replaced by a body double. This is complete nonsense. This is not true. Calls to mind that Avril Lavigne theory that she died and was replaced by a body double as well. Was she? Oh, Never heard that Name's before. Melissa, apparently, <laughs> yes. yeah. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's still the same Avril Lavigne that we know and love. And yeah, in this Damar Hamlin situation, it's just so ridiculous. And it, it's toxic. It's, it's, it's gross. It's depressing. And like, there's this horrible movement that's happening now where when someone dies, young or suddenly, 
um, there's social media pages dedicated to saying, look what happened here, what do we think this is? There was we a get pre- text messages from some people who say they didn't die this, they died because of the vaccine. I, I mean, like it, it, at a certain point, like how brainwashed are you that you don't understand right and wrong, you know? Yeah, but why do these things get traction via social media? It's a hard question to answer. I think sometimes these things do start as fun. Um, you know, Dave mentioned the Avril Lavigne theory about Melissa, which has circulated the internet almost as a running joke among, you know, pop culture uh, fanatics that it's, you know, free Melissa and this kind of thing is used. It starts as a joke or sometimes it can be shared as a joke. And I think that's the danger. People lightheartedly share that, oh, Damar Hamill was, you know, cloned. This is so funny. We haven't seen his face. And it's a little quirky story to them. But when these things grow traction, they grow numbers. Like it is a terrible state of affairs. You know, his teammates came out and had to show proof that, you know, this is actually Demar and show pictures of his face and stuff like that. So it takes a very dark turn very, very quickly. It can start out quite lighthearted. You know, we've heard things about Tupac Shakur, the rapper, that he is actually alive and living in Jamaica. He's often spotted around the Caribbean islands. That's almost a lighthearted theory as well. But in the wrong hands, it does become very dark. And when the reasons behind it are linked back to the vaccine, that's when it gets extremely dangerous. And then you hear other conspiracy theories are debunking of mm. things which are factual. Because we had before five o'clock to mark uh, the Holocaust Memorial Day, Judith Mock was with us telling us about how 163 of her relatives had been murdered in Nazi concentration camps during the Second World War. Something that her parents kept the details from her, but she discovered in recent years. So how shocking is it, Marae, to discover this uh, survey done in Holland, which said a quarter of young Dutch people say Holocaust suffering was exaggerated? Yeah, I couldn't believe that when I read that during the week. One in four people born after 1980 in Holland believe that the Holocaust was exaggerated or a myth. Um, It's really, really shocking. And especially when you realise that there was 150,000 Jews in the Netherlands at the start of the World War. and They expect about 102,000 of them were actually killed. So when half of the people surveyed believe the Holocaust didn't even take place in Holland, I mean, you have to really look at the education system. Something is breaking down there that the message isn't passing through, that this is real. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's 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 the Holocaust. And I wonder, Dave, how much of an overlap would there be between the people who believe the Holocaust didn't happen as exaggerated, who are the same people who will tell you that the COVID, va- COVID vaccine will kill you more than COVID will? Yeah, that's one of those kind of, you know, face-to-face vox pops I never want to do in my life. I mean, like the correlation to try, try and define that is obviously quite difficult. But unfortunately, a lot of these conspiracy theories do take root and do grow. And it, it's just so depressing to read something like this and even like it's got to a stage now where you almost expect a certain level of ignorance but this does go too far like the other night I was watching the Man United Nottingham Forest game and they had a minute silence for uh, for Holocaust victims before the game and like when that started I had this moment of just trepidation where I was like what if someone just screams or does something horrible here or mocks it they didn't thank god but yeah, no, this this stuff spreads like wildfire. It's not regulated enough online at all. And even like to bring it back to the vaccine thing, I was going to make the point that like in line with the previous story, there's a professional wrestler who died recently in a car crash. It was a horrible, horrible accident, but he was 40 years of age. And so people online are putting up his photograph and saying, look what happens. And it's like he died in a car crash. It was a horrible accident. It's nothing to do with the vaccine. These people have families. There's a massive community out there of people who are devastated by the passing of that person. That's just one story. And the fact that pe- people's deaths are now being used as complete and utter lies to, to, to bolster this movement that seems to have no end in sight. It's, it's awful. 
and I won't get into any names, but it has happened in Ireland too where there's been attempts made in that regard. We're going to have more of the week trending with Mairead Cleary and Dave Hanratty when we come back after this. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So Mairead Cleary from our newsroom here at Bar Media and Dave Hanratty, the host of the No Encore podcast, are with us. So let's hear how the former British Deputy Prime Minister, who's now the President of Global Affairs at Meta, uh, described why Meta, or Facebook, is lifting the ban on Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts, the one imposed after the January 6th Capitol riots. We will um, introduce measures to restrict the ability for former President Donald Trump, if he chooses to do this in the future, to seek to, if he seeks to try and use our apps, Instagram and Facebook, to delegitimise the upcoming uh, uh, election. And that is something that we don't want to see, you know, spread like wildfire on our apps. He, he would be able to post stuff like that. It's a free country. Politicians of all shapes and sizes have always said critical things about contests in which they in which they participate. But that doesn't mean we have to make, you know, make sure that we don't, it doesn't mean that we then have to ensure that that material appears in people's feeds or that people can reshare those posts. So that's how we will treat that kind of content. But if the content goes further than that, and actually is is something which we think clearly will lead to imminent and real-world harm, we'll go a lot further. We'll remove the content and, if necessary, suspend his account all over again, ranging from between a one-month suspension back to another two-year suspension. Yeah, Dave Hanratty, I wonder how quickly would they suspend the account? And also, I don't remember the Lib Dems under Nick Clegg (laughs) organising a raid on the Houses of Parliament as a result of losing power in the election back, was it, in 2015? So uh, so many caveats there. My head is spinning from that uh, incredible audio. Such backbone from Nick Clegg, you know, a, 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 real, a, a, a real spineless man right there. Yeah, Trump's back, baby. Or is he? I mean, like he's been, you know, the, you, you can now go back and Facebook Donald Trump and Instagram, I guess. But his Twitter ban, obviously, separately, Elon Musk was lifted in November. He has yet to tweet. Uh, he's still sticking to his own truth social platform. But this is such a bad look, isn't it, for Facebook? A company already in massive trouble. And Meta, sorry, is the name of the company now. Um, their audience share is massively down. Their profit margin is down. Is this really, like, in, in case of emergency, break glass, sound the Donald Trump alarm? I mean, it all hinges on whether or not he'll get involved. And I, I find that really, really strange that he's allowed talk whatever he wants about the election that he lost, fair and square. But he's not allowed to talk about an upcoming election in case he influences that one. So... You're still going to let him fan the flames of hatred and and speak to the people that he spoke to on January the 6th. But just don't do it for the next one, please, mate. It, the whole thing is full of holes. What do you make of it, Mairead? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a cash grab by Facebook. They're trying to get their, their stocks up again. Um, I also think it's really dangerous and irresponsible of them. They are a publisher and that, that's the truth of it at the end of the day. Um, it, I can see why they're doing it. There is always going to be a reaction, even you know, hate clicks and hate shares that it all feeds the Facebook machine. I just think it's a really cheap move by Facebook, to be honest. I'm not surprised by it, though. I mean, they, they do show their colours time and time again that the, the fact that they deleted uh, Trump's presence on Facebook back in January last year was the first time they ever showed a bit of bit backbone, in my opinion. Um, so it's no surprise they're bending once again. Now, let's move on to Britain's Prince Andrew, who about a year ago, made a settlement of about $16 million to Virginia Gouffray 
over the as a result of the action that she took against him for the abuse she suffered at his hands when she was a teenager. What do you make of the fact here, Marie, that she is now going to publish a memoir and it's going to make millions more out of that? Yeah, I was surprised that she went ahead with this. You know, she did settle for reportedly $12 million and agreed to stay silent for one year. Um, the fact she's now coming out in the public and willing to share her story. I mean, realistically, she didn't get justice if her story is true. She did not get justice through the court system. Um, so she has the right to share her story and she is playing by the rules. She has stayed silent for a year. Um, so I think... There is merit in it. I actually think I would read that book as well. I think she will make a lot of money from this deal. Another bad news, I suppose, for the royal family uh, hammering home their their poor public image of the last year. What do you make of this, Dave? I'd be a little worried that maybe she's being taken advantage of by an advantageous press. But at the same time, if this is ento- entirely her idea and she, of her own agency, she wants to do this, well, she's the victim. You know, it's up to her, really, where the book stops. And yeah, it's going to make a lot of money and it's going to be everywhere. I'm sure it will be... There may be like an accompanying television series or a new documentary, but people do watch these things. People do read these things. And that's not going to go away anytime soon. The problem as well is that it will maybe give rise to further conspiracy theorists who will just knee-jerk take against her and say, oh, she's profiting off it. She couldn't be, it couldn't be that bad, could it? It's like, well, again, these things are so complex. You have to kind of say, well, look, it's it's up to her. She has the right. But if I was her, which I'm not, I'd be like, I'd probably want this all to go away now, please. But clearly she wants to tell her story. Let her. I think Prince Andrew would probably love if it all went away. There's been suggestions this week, Murray, that he wants to sort of try and fight back, though presumably he'd want to do a better job than he did when he did that infamous interview with Emily Maitlis on BBC Newsnight, the one in which he told everyone that he doesn't sweat. Yeah, it was a dire interview. It really was. So yeah, apparently he's considering legal options um, that he might overturn the settlement that was made last year, that $12 million uh, settlement. Um, He claimed he never wanted to settle it, but it bounced into agreeing to a deal by the palace and he did so to avoid basically negative publicity. I don't think um, if he wants to save his public image at all, which I don't think he ever will, um, he will be kept well away from microphones, from the press, from ever doing a face-to-face interview like that again. I think it's a waste of time as well trying to undo this settlement because it's already been agreed. If he wants it swept under the carpet, it's already being swept. Virginia is only telling her side of the story because she obviously doesn't think that he's gotten enough uh, repercussions for what he's allegedly done. OK, just in the few minutes we've left to us, uh, Dave Hanratty, this is the Irish week at the Oscars after all the nominations. And as we were hearing earlier on our news bulletins, an apology from the BBC to Paul Meskell for calling him <laughs> British, which The Guardian had done only a week previously and had to apologise for. Why are they so keen to claim him, I wonder? Uh, Paul Meskell, uh, because he's the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. And it should be said as well, I was delighted to see him get that Oscar nomination. After Sun was my favourite film of last year. His performance is amazing. But this keeps happening. How does this keep happening? Every week there's a new one and it happens constantly. I mean, I remember Samuel L. Jackson being interviewed in an ITV morning show uh, 20 years ago, talking about Colin Farrell, and he had to reprimand the host. He was like... Uh, why do you keep saying that he's he's yours? And like, oh, when, when an Irish person does something good, you know, we, we, we claim them. And Samuel Jackson was like, yeah, we used to have something like that in America. As well. it, was called, <laughs> it was called slavery. And it's just like, wow, infamous clip. It was beautiful. What a man. But no, the Oscars, has, it's been a hell of a week. Everyone's liking it to Italian IT. I don't want to be the guy who pours cold water on stuff, but we haven't won anything yet. And I, I and don't of course, know. Somebody pointed out the other day, the last time we had a load of nominations, it was in the name of the father. Seven nominations, one nothing. 
Guys, the look of the Irish. I think that is so <laughs> pessimistic. It is so rare that we get some good news about good Irish talent. This, I think, was a real shot of coffee during the week to just wake everyone up and say, look, we're actually doing well here. 14 nominations, nine nominations for the Banshees, an Irish uh, film on Colleen Kuhn, an Irish language film with a very modest budget is up for Best International Feature. But do we get too worked up about it oh, sort of claiming it as Irish? But there's less than, I think it's about 5 million people on this little island of ours. We are oh, punching sorry, way five, above our weight here. 5 million in the Republic plus and another million or so. Exactly. Off, right? so anyway. Yeah, I'm in this kind of tricky position where I'm like, it's great, but I'm, calm down, you know. Like, I don't want to be that guy, but I find myself kind of recording from it. It's my own insecurities, I suppose. I'd love to see Colin Farrell standing up there with the Oscar or Paul Mescal. I don't think it's going to happen. I'd love to see the, the Quiet Girl win Best International Film. I don't think it's going to happen. But that's just my own, like, hardcore realism. That's my. It's not pessimism. I hope they win everything, but I don't think they're going to. Sorry. The best bit of Christmas is the lead up. It is the buzz. It's the hype. <laughs> no one cares about the Christmas Day nap. That is what the Oscars is. That's a Christmas Day nap here. What we're looking forward to is the build up. Let's get behind them. I'll keep my curmudgeonly opinions <laughs> about Christmas uh, for, the, for the next episode. <laughs> Thank you very much, Marie Cleary from our Bar Media Newsroom and Dave Hanratty, host of the No Encore podcast. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.